Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation and Revelation in chapter number 20, the book of Revelation and chapter number 20. Now we're progressing forward in our series of the millennial kingdom. And with this, we've been trying to put it together, building block by building block, trying to build upon the knowledge, bringing people from the known to the unknown. And we had started off this series by explaining terms and defining what we mean to be able to explain clearly what we mean, putting together the framework of prophecy, getting an understanding of how do we get to this interpretation? How did we get to this information? How did we draw this conclusion? Then we took some time to begin to set up the timeline of what led up to the millennial kingdom. That it, the next event on God's calendar is the rapture. After the rapture, there's going to be a seven-year period called the tribulation. After that, Jesus Christ is going to come back with us in tow, those who have accepted Christ as his Savior, and he is going to establish his millennial kingdom. And we've hit a couple messages leading up to this. Now we come to a very important foundational message. In fact, this message is so foundational that we're going to refer to it over and over and over and over. Now again, the whole purpose is that we're not dumping the whole dump trunk load on everyone. But as we start getting to the nuts and bolts, we want to build a foundation and give people a good understanding and then build off of that, giving more information, expanding upon these things. So this right here is going to be one of the most important messages of the entire series because of the foundation that it lays to build off more understanding and more knowledge from this subject. So if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the book of Revelation in chapter 20. The book of Revelation in chapter 20, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse 1. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And as they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that was deceived them were cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever." 
And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 20? Revelation chapter 20, and notice with me in verse number 4. Revelation chapter 20, at the end of verse number 4, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I understand that this part of Revelation 20 is going to get marked up quite a bit by the time this series is over with. But for right here, let's mark that, that they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And with this, we'd like to preach a message, a foundational message on the people of the millennial. The people of the millennial. Let's identify the different groups of people that will be present during the millennial reign of Christ, during the millennial kingdom. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house, to have your Bible, to open it up. And I'm praying that you would grant us great understanding and great wisdom. That you would help us, Lord, to be able to put this foundation down to be that it would be clear and understandable and it would be used to build up more upon this series and more of our understanding of the millennial kingdom. Lord, I understand I need you in a special way that you would give me clarity. You'd give me the physical ability that you would just use me as your instrument to get your word accomplished and that this would be a help and encouragement to those who hear that we could prepare ourselves for your reign here on this earth. Again, fill me with your spirit. You guide and direct and you get accomplished what you want to get accomplished this morning. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Inside of the millennial kingdom, we're going to have three different groups of people. And these are going to be three different groups of people that are going to be distinct from each other in nature and in kind. And it's going to be important for us to have an understanding of this. And with this foundation, we're going to build a lot more upcoming in this series. In fact, from time to time, I'll tell you that we'll give more detail in a different message. We'll give you more detail in a different message. But here we're just going to give some of the basic nuts and bolts of the different groups of people that live during the millennial kingdom. The very first group that we're going to mention here in the millennial kingdom are going to be those with resurrected bodies. Those with resurrected bodies. Notice if you don't mind in the book of Revelation chapter 20 and in verse number 4. The book of Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, we're going to hit those with resurrected bodies. Notice with me in verse number 4. And I saw thrones... And they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years." But the rest of the dead, meaning those who died not accepting Jesus as their savior, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This, speaking about this group that was mentioned in verse 4, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death or hell hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Now, the first group of people are going to be those with a resurrected body. What do we mean by this? Well, right now, during this time frame that you and I are living in currently, that any time that we come to the place that we get saved, what do I mean by that? We realize that we're a sinner. And because of our sin that we've offended a holy, righteous God and we deserve to go to an awful place called hell. But that Jesus died for us and we come to the place where we personally 
for ourselves accept this free gift of salvation, the moment that that happens, we become saved. What do we mean saved? Saved from the punishment, the penalty that we deserved. We deserved hell and now we are delivered. We are saved from that punishment. The Bible goes on to say that we become born again. What does that mean? Well, God, the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and becomes a part of us and we become a new creature. When we have a second birth, we will not have a second death. If you only have one birth, you will have two deaths. What is this second death? Well, the Bible explains this second death is hell. In fact, let me just show it to you at the end of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And notice with me in verse number 14. Revelation 20 and verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So again, the moment that we accept Jesus as our Savior, we become born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, Verily, verily, ye must be born again. When we have two births, we will only have one death. When we have only one birth, we will have two deaths. Does that make sense? That if we are born physically and never born again, not only will we die physically, but we will also be cast into that awful place called hell, the lake of fire. We need to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, for all of those people who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, one of two things are going to happen to you, guaranteed. You are either going to die, which is going to happen to most of us, or we're going to be raptured out. Remember, Jesus Christ's second coming comes in two phases. The first phase is the rapture where Jesus Christ is going to meet us in the air, and all of us who are have accepted Jesus as our Savior are going to be called away. That's what that word rapture means, means called away. And we're going to be called out of this earth. We're going to be raptured up and we're going to meet Jesus up in the air. During that time, we're going to get brand new redeemed bodies. And we're looking forward to that. In these brand new redeemed bodies, we will no longer be able to sin against God anymore. Isn't that a blessing? I'm looking forward to that time where I'll no longer be able to sin against God. I'm tired of failing God. I'm a pastor of a church and I fail God every day. You say, oh, I understand, but guess what? So do you. We fail God all the time and I'm tired of failing God. And one day I'm going to get a brand new body that will be incapable of sinning. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Now, when Jesus Christ establishes the millennial kingdom, notice with me again in verse number four. And I saw thrones. We know that the idea of thrones carries the idea of ruling. I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given to them, meaning they have the idea of judge administrating. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither the image, neither received his mark on their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Inside of verse 4, it also includes those people who died during the tribulation. So they didn't uh, die before the rapture and they weren't raptured up, but they had accepted Christ during the tribulation and died. They're going to have brand new redeemed bodies too. And we're going to have brand new redeemed bodies. And guess what? We are going to help Jesus rule and reign during the millennial kingdom. Jesus Christ is going to be the supreme ruler. He's going to be the supreme king. And he's going to need people to help administrate his government. So he is going to give us the job. And by the way, we won't be able to sin. That means we won't be able to mess up. We're going to do our job perfectly. That means Jesus Christ is going to set up a millennial kingdom, a kingdom with a perfect government. That's going to be a wonderful place. We'll give more detail on those things later on. Again, we're building a foundation. But we're going to be 
part of that group, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, we're going to be in the millennial kingdom and we're going to be part of the group with the redeemed bodies. Now, let's learn a little bit more about these redeemed bodies. We're coming back to Revelation chapter 20, but let's take a couple pit stops and look with me. First of all, the gospel record of John. The gospel record of John in chapter number 5. The gospel record of John chapter 5. Again, this is just a foundational message. We're going to go into detail of each of these subjects coming up later on. But we're just laying down a foundation now of understanding of the different groups that are going to be in the millennial kingdom. The first group is those with the redeemed bodies. Those people have accepted Jesus Christ as their savior before the millennial kingdom and died or was raptured. We get brand new redeemed bodies. Notice with me, Revelation, or sorry, the book of John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and notice with me in verse number 24. Revel, uh, John chapter 5, I keep wanting to go back to Revelation, forgive me. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, remember the word verily means truly. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. How long is everlasting life? Is that a week? Is that a year? It's forever. Why? Because we're made everlasting souls. We are souls that cannot die. We're going to get a brand new body to go with our soul that will not be able to sin against God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death Unto life. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? That when you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you pass from death unto life. You will no longer face that second death, but you have life everlasting because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of God and they that hear shall live. This is the rapture that those who died knowing Jesus Christ is their savior. When we're raptured out, we get our brand new bodies. We're going to live forever. Verse 26, for as the father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the son to have life in him. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which that, all in, that are all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And they shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Again, if you have two births, you only have one death. If you have one birth, you have two deaths. That if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're going to be resurrected. We're going to live forever. And he's going to give us brand new redeemed bodies. Now, these brand new redeemed bodies, again, we'll have a whole message about these redeemed bodies, one or two. But these bodies will not be able to sin against God. But something interesting about these bodies is mentioned in the gospel record of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. As you're turning there, the context of Matthew 22 is that the Jesus Christ is finishing his earthly ministry. And what has happened is that all of the different groups that oppose Jesus are trying one last time to stump Jesus. They're trying to ask questions to Jesus to make, to finally trip him up, to make him look bad. And they're all taking the turns. The Pharisees take their turns. The lawyers take their turns. The scribes take their turns. And the Sadducees take their turns. Now the Sadducees are a very interesting group of people because the Sadducees deny the miracles of the Bible. They deny the supernatural. They deny uh, God's miracle working power. Now they deny those things. Somebody said that's why they're so sad, you see, is because they deny the miracles. They deny the special power of God. 
So they come to Jesus and they're going to ask Jesus a question that they don't believe themselves, but they have a misunderstanding of the Bible, but they're trying to trip Jesus up. So they give a scenario. Now, this is a very interesting scenario because as they're saying it, they're doing the what if. Uh, Let me just take a little pause. I taught questions or I taught high school for a long time. And in high school, whenever you have the teenagers who are looking to rebel, by the way, you don't have to be a teenager. I've met many adults who do the what ifs too, that they go, but what if this? Now they're not looking for an answer as much as they're looking for a reason to obey or a reason to counteract what you're teaching. And so this is what the Sadducees are doing is they're asking a what if question with the purpose of not learning knowledge, but for the purpose of tripping up Jesus to counteract Jesus, to rebel against Jesus. So notice if you don't mind in Matthew chapter 22, notice with me in verse 23, the same day came to him, Jesus, the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. So the Bible's giving a background to the reader, letting you know that the Sadducees are a group of people that do not believe in the resurrection. What is the resurrection? What we were just speaking about, that one day those who've accepted Christ as their savior are going to be resurrected to a brand new life and a brand new body. So here they give this what if situation, verse 24, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children and his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren and the first when he had married a wife deceased and having no issue left his wife unto his brother. And likewise the second also and the third unto the seventh and the last of all the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. So here's the situation. Inside of the law of Moses, God had uh, wanted to preserve the property rights, the inheritance rights of the family. He did that for the purpose that he didn't want the families to disappear. He wanted them to always have a Uh, uh, inheritance that would continue on. God was very big at making sure that inheritance kept with the family. So there was a provision in the law that if a man had married a wife and they did not have children together and the husband died, that his brother was allowed to marry the wife. And when they had a child, that child would carry on that first husband's inheritance. He would be the inheritor, be considered the heir of that first husband so that lineage would not discontinue. So it would continue on. So the Sadducees put up a what if situation. So let's say what if that there's a man and a woman. The man dies and he doesn't give the woman an inheritance. So the next brother does his duty, takes the wife And his job is to try to bring a child to carry on the inheritance. But the second man dies without giving an inheritance. So the third brother takes his turn. He marries the lady with the idea that he wants to give an inheritance to both the first and the second brother. He dies without a child. The fourth one comes to bat. I'm starting to think poor lady here. Number five, four dies. Number five dies. What is going on to this lady that all the guys are dying? Number six, you can almost see number seven saying, I don't want to get married to you. I don't want to die. But number seven marries and then is buried. And no child is given within this scenario. No one is able to carry on the inheritance rights. Well, because God has always put a big emphasis on marriage, here's the Sadducees question. Jesus, we don't believe in the resurrection, but you do. So in this scenario... When you get to the other side, when you get to eternity, the woman has been married to all seven of them. Which one is going to be her husband when you get to the other side of glory? When you get to this resurrection, who is she going to be married to? Now they're asking a legitimate question. Now they don't believe in the resurrection. That's already a problem. But they're trying to base it off of what Jesus thinks what they think he believes, trying to trip him up. All right, who's she going to be married to? Or are you going to have just a big monster thing where the brothers are all fighting with each other? Or do they have to share? Tell us, how does this work out? What are the details? 
So let's see what Jesus answers. How is he going to untie this theological knot? How can he answer this question about who is this woman married to when she's had seven husbands and they all died? Let's see. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, ye do err. You guys made a mistake. You guys are wrong. Your whole premise is wrong. Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. So you got some big problems here. You've asked the wrong question. Verse 30, for in the resurrection, they, meaning those who have redeemed bodies, Neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as for touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which is spoken to you of God saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead but the God of the living. So in Jesus' answer, he says, all right, first of all, you made a mistake. You're wrong. Second of all, you don't know the Bible. Third of all, let me tell you how it works. In the millennial kingdom, when people have a brand new redeemed body, they cannot reproduce. That's why it's say, but there is the angels of God in heaven. Angels cannot reproduce. They cannot have children. So he's saying when those who have redeemed bodies go up to the millennial kingdom in the resurrection, they are going to have bodies that will not be able to produce children. So therefore, marriage is not necessary. It's not an option because the purpose of marriage in the first place was to appropriate and raise people, kids for the Lord to continue to populate the world. Well, when you have no need of procreation, when you're not able to procreate, there's no need of marriage. So they're not going to be given to marriage because they cannot reproduce. So this first group of people who go into the millennial kingdom, that's us, with redeemed bodies, we will not be able to reproduce. We will not be able to have children. That means now is the time for us to reproduce. Now is our time to raise children for the Lord, to raise them to serve God. Because in the millennial kingdom, that's not our job. We will not be equipped. Our bodies will not be able to have children at that time. That's not for us at that time. So the first group of people inside of the millennial kingdom are those with redeemed bodies, those with resurrected bodies. These group of people will have perfect bodies that will not be able to sin against God, that are going to help Jesus administrate his kingdom in a perfect way, and we will not be able to reproduce and have children. That leads us to a second group of people that are inside of the millennial kingdom. The first group of those who have accepted Christ as their savior before the millennial kingdom starts and has died or was raptured and they have a brand new body. There is a second group of people. These are those who survive the tribulation. This group of people are those that survive the tribulation. Now the last two messages we preached were the parables of the sheep and the goats and the wheat of the tares. The sheep and the goat and the wheat and the tares. Both of those parables are speaking about at the very end of the tribulation when Jesus Christ comes back on this earth that he is going to separate all of those from from the people who've accepted Christ, from those who are not believers. That the believers are going to be set on one hand, the non-believers are going to be set on the other. Judgment is going to fall upon all of those people at the end of the tribulation who have not accepted Christ as their savior. They're going to die. What does that mean? That means the millennial kingdom starts with no lost people. Only those who enter into the millennial kingdom are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior, who have acknowledged, who have believed upon God. All right? So that's our general statement. So those people who survive the tribulation, remember, the tribulation period is made 
purposely for God to bring the Hebrew people back to himself. During that time, 144,000 Hebrew people are going to get saved and they're going to be evangelists spreading the gospel all throughout the world. And many other people are going to come to know Jesus Christ as their savior because of the efforts. That's what God's intention always was, to take the Hebrew people, bring them to himself, and use the Hebrew people to spread the good news around the world. That was God's plan in the Old Testament, and that's God's renewed plan back in the tribulation, is that he is trying to bring the Hebrew people to himself and through them reach the world so the world can know God for themselves at the same time. So during the tribulation, there are going to be many Hebrew people and Gentile people who have accepted Christ as their Savior who do not die during the tribulation. They're going to be spared. The Bible gives the phrase, they endured to the end, that they will be saved. What does that mean? Not for salvation, but they're going to be delivered out of that horrible period of the tribulation. They're going to be delivered. And they're going to enter into the millennial kingdom with their brand new natural bodies. Meaning the same bodies that you have, they're going to enter in. These bodies that can still sin, just like you can sin, they're going to be able to sin. Just like you can have children, they're going to be able to have children. So these are people who are able to survive the tribulation. They've accepted God, Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And now they're entering into the millennial kingdom through, <laughs> uh, with their brand new natural bodies. Now, those with redeemed bodies, they're not going to be able to have children. These people will be able to have children and they're going to have lots of children. In fact, if you don't mind, let's just kind of see this idea that they will be able to have children, which is also going to bring us to the third group. The first group is those with redeemed bodies. The second group is those who survived the tribulation. The third group are those who are born in the millennial kingdom those who are born in the millennial kingdom. We're going to turn to Revelation in just a second, but let me take a couple pit stops. Ezekiel chapter 7, or 47, Ezekiel 47. Now inside of the millennial kingdom, God is going to reestablish Garden of Eden conditions. In that Garden of Eden conditions, it's going to set up a perfect environment. It's going to be at a place where you can live a thousand years. And that's what Revelation 20 says. It's going to be a place where if you break your arm, it will heal overnight. It'll be a place that you could run 200 miles without getting tired. How many of you like to run 200 miles without getting tired? Yeah. How many of you just like to run? Inside of the millennial kingdom, it's going to be completely different. People are going to live a long time. And there are going to be many births during this time. The Bible speaks about these children being born in several different passages. I'm just going to show you two. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 47, it's in a block of talking about the millennial kingdom temple. That once again, there's going to be a temple in the millennial kingdom. And how it's going to work. It goes all the way up from uh, the latter part of the 30s. Uh, all the way up to uh, the rest of Ezekiel. And in the middle of Ezekiel chapter 47, notice with me in verse number 22. Ezekiel 47 and 22, this is a millennial kingdom passage. Notice what it says. Uh, Ezekiel 47, 22. And it shall come to pass that ye shall divide it, the land, for lot, for an inheritance unto you. And to the strangers that sojourn among you, which shall beget children among you. And they shall be unto you as born in the country among the children of Israel. And they shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. So here, this millennial kingdom passage, all I'm pointing out is that children are being born during this time. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah, which is one of the last books of the Old Testament. So Matthew, going the other way, you come into Haggai, uh, Malachi, and then Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10. And notice with me, if you don't mind, Zechariah chapter 10 and verse number 7. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 7. 
And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord, for I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they increased. And I will sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again. So once again, all I'm pointing out is that in this millennial kingdom passage, it says that there's children going to be born. Now with that, turn back to me to Revelation 20. As we're turning to Revelation 20, let me set the scene because now this is going to be big stuff. In Revelation, in the millennial kingdom, you're going to have three groups of people. The first group of people are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior and died or was raptured before the millennial kingdom. These people are going to get brand new redeemed bodies that cannot fail, cannot sin against God, and cannot have children. These people are going to be used to help administrate the government. The second group of people are those who survived the tribulation and accepted Christ as their savior. They enter into the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies, in the same bodies that you and I currently have now. And they're going to be able to sin and they're going to be able to have children. The third group are going to be the group of people who are born in the millennial kingdom. Now, let's set the scene. Satan is going to be locked away for a thousand years. So these children are going to be born into a kingdom. They don't know anything. They don't know about the world that we live in today. We live in an awful world. I mean, it's falling apart. We've got pollution. We've got a corrupt government. We've got all kinds of issues. We deal with sinners and we deal with the consequences of sin. We have crime. We have all kinds of things. These people inside of the millennial kingdom who are born in the millennial kingdom are going to be born into a perfect environment, Garden of Eden conditions. That means they're going to be born into a place where there's no pollution. They're going to be able to take fresh air, breathe, and it's always going to be that way. They don't know anything different. They're going to be born into a place where there's going to be no darkness at night. They'd have no reason to be afraid of the dark. We have lots of reason to be afraid of the dark here. There's lots of things that creep in the dark. They're going to be born in a place where animals are going to get along with people. You don't have to worry about the pet dinosaur or the pet snake. The lion's going to lay with a lamb. It's going to be a place of peace even among the animals. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? So they're not going to know any different. They're not going to know about the lion who... They're not going to be able to watch the Discovery Channel and watch the lion get that gazelle and rip them apart and we're like cheering for them. They're not going to have Shark Week. Up in the, they're not going to know anything different because creation is going to be restored back to Garden of Eden conditions. They're not going to know what it's like to have a corrupt government because Jesus is going to be king and those of us with redeemed bodies are going to be working in the government. It's going to have a perfect government that's going to run the way that it should and that just laws, just courts, everything is going to, isn't that sound like a wonderful place? They're never going to know what it's like to have people protesting. They're never know what it's going to like when a judge makes a wrong ruling. They're never know what it's going to like to have an unfair law be passed. That sounds wonderful so far. It's setting them up. It's going to be a place where Satan is going to be locked away. You know, today people like to use the excuse that the devil made me do it. Satan made me do it. They can't use an excuse in the millennial kingdom because there's no Satan. There's no Satan causing trouble and causing havoc. What it, they are going to have to admit is that my flesh is the one that was the problem the whole time. I'm the issue, I think. But you're going to have a place where crime is going to be punished immediately. There's going to be no murders there. It's going to be taken care of immediately. You don't have to worry about people stealing things. However, you're also going to have a bunch of people that still have a sin nature. For example, you did not have to teach your kid how to lie. You didn't have to sit down and say, listen, I know that you're only two years old, but you need to survive life. So here's a course on lying. Well, if you didn't have to teach them how to lie, where do they learn it from? Their sin nature. You know, you didn't have to um, teach them a course of in order to survive life. Let me teach you how to steal. 
well, if you didn't teach them how to steal, how come they were stealing cookies from the cookie jar that you put on the very top shelf and they figured out a way to build a contraption to climb all the way up to the top of the refrigerator? Right? Because they're sinners. You know, you don't have to teach a course about having the brothers and sisters fight each other. But they fight anyways. Why do they fight? They got a sin nature. Quit touching me. Quit touching me. Stop touching me. Mom, they stole my stuff. You know, that's still going to be in the millennial kingdom because you're still going to have sinners who are in a sin nature. Now, they can't blame Satan, so it's going to be a wonderful place, but you're still going to have people with a sin nature. But it's going to be a wonderful... These people are going to grow up in a perfect environment. It's going to be at a place where, by the way, because they have a sin nature, they're going to need to get saved just like we do. What does that mean? That they have to realize that they're a sinner. They're still a sinner. They have to realize that because of their sin that they owe God a price. They're still owe God the price of hell. However, Jesus died for them and they still must personally accept Christ as their savior. What's the difference? Here, we just have to tell people about the Bible and point them up and they have to believe on God by faith. In the millennial kingdom, it's more by sight. Hey, let me tell you, Jesus, he wants to know more about you. That's going to be a lot easier, right? They're still going to have to be saved though. These people are going to have to come to trust Christ for themselves by faith. Now, many people are going to get saved because it's going to be an environment where it's going to be conducive. But notice what happens now. Because of the millennial kingdom being reset to Garden of Eden conditions, people are going to live to be a th- for a thousand years. You're going to have a lot of births and you're not going to have a lot of deaths. What's going to happen is that you want to talk about population control and population increase. It is going to increase rapidly. When no one's dying and everyone's having kids, there's going to be a lot of people being born. A lot of population. By the way, that's why we as the redeemed are going to help Jesus in the millennial kingdom. At the very beginning, we may outnumber them. But at the very end, they're going to outnumber us. And they're going to need all of us to help administrate the government because there's still sinners out there. And they're still going to have to make sure that right rulings. If two people are fighting, we're going to have to be able to clear that up and settle the matter and settle it justly. So the government is going to be necessary, especially towards the end of the millennial when there's a lot of sinners running around. So a lot of people are being born and all of these people are going to be born with a sin nature. They're not going to know anything about this world before, but they're going to know the world now and they're still going to have to get saved. But an interesting thing occurs. Look with me in Revelation 20. Revelation 20 and notice with me in verse number 6. Revelation 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So it's talking about us who have the redeemed bodies. Verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now, here's a funny thing. At the very end of the thousand year reign of Christ, they're going to let Satan out of his prison. And Satan is going to be able to do whatever he wants again. Now, what does Satan want? He wants to overthrow God. Well, after Jesus uh, running a perfect government for a thousand years, do you think Satan wants to wreck that thing? And so he's going to. How is he going to do this? Verse number eight. And shall go out to deceive the nations. Satan is going to go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. So notice this. As we have tons of people getting saved, notice this. Even in the millennial kingdom, there are going to be some people who refuse to accept Jesus as their savior. And Jesus is king. They can go make appointment. They can go see him. And they still won't. There's something about our sin nature that we like to rebel against any authority. Even when the authority is perfect. And these people have said, I don't understand why Jesus has to rule over us. 
I don't see why I have to obey this law. I don't see why we have to have Jesus as our king. We didn't vote on it. I don't think he should be king because we didn't vote on it. Does it sound like something people would do? Absolutely. And they are going to complain about a perfect king and a perfect government in a perfect society in a perfect world with a perfect atmosphere and perfect Garden of Eden conditions. And they're still going to find something to complain about. And they're still going to refuse to admit that they're sinners. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm right. I could do whatever I want. Who are you to tell me what I should do? I think I should do whatever I want to do. You don't tell me I need to get saved. I, I don't think I'm a sinner. I think I'm a good person. Think people would be that way? They're like that now. And they're going to be like that then. And there's going to be lots and lots of people who still refuse to accept Jesus as their savior. Now, someone may pause and say, but we're in the millennial kingdom. Jesus is ruling. Yes, but you also see that there's a God who allows us to make our own choice. Jesus never forces his will upon anyone. Everyone has to make the choice to accept that free gift or reject Jesus' rule in their life. And they're going to make their own choice. And they're going to reject Jesus. So when Satan comes up, they're like, I'd rather follow Satan than obey Jesus. I'm tired of obeying Jesus. I'm tired of your perfect thing. I'd rather join with him. Satan's been locked up for a thousand years. And he's still going to come out and get a quick following. Why? Because people don't want to obey the Lord. And they're going to join with Satan. And they're going to think we can overthrow Jesus. Jesus, you're not so tough. We're going to show you who's boss. Well, that's not going to go well as you could quite imagine. Notice with me in verse number nine. And they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So in the millennial kingdom, we're going to have three groups of people. We're going to have those who come to know Jesus Christ as their savior before the millennial that either died or was raptured. And we're going to get a brand new redeemed body that cannot sin against God. Neither can we have children. Our time of childbearing is now. There are going to be a second group of people of those who lived through the tribulation, who have accepted Christ, and they are going to enter in with their natural bodies and their sin natures, and they're going to have children who are also going to inherit their sin nature. And because people don't change, at the end of the millennial, there's still going to be a lot of people who don't accept Christ as their savior who are going to rebel against God and his authority, and they're going to lose. Now, someone says, why? Why? Why go through here? Well, the interesting thing about the study of the millennial kingdom is what we would call dispensation. In the Bible, there are different dispensations, different eras where God puts different conditions upon man. And the thing about this is that God is proving to man that no matter what position you put man in, we are going to fail. Why? Because we're sinners. God set up the Garden of Eden and he said, there's only one rule. That's it. One rule. You can have anything you want from all of these other trees. Just don't touch this one. It's mine. One rule. And guess what? Man failed. After that, God set up, okay, let's live by conscience. We're just saying you do what you believe is right and you try to have a good society by no laws, no government. You just do what you think is right. And guess what? Man failed. After that, we had the dispensation of government. All right, fine, that didn't work. Let's put you in a place where you have a government that rules over you that will punish evildoers and let's see if you could uh, manage to survive. Nope, they failed. Man fails again. Man fails again. All right, fine. Let's set up laws. We're going to give you 612 laws. Let's see if you can obey them. How about boil it down to 10 commandments? Can you obey 10 commandments? And guess what? Man fails. Then you bring it to the age of grace where, guess what? We've accepted Jesus Christ as our savior. The Holy Spirit lives with inside of me. Let's see if we can manage to do right with God even living in me. And we still fail. 
All right, let's set you in a place where there's a perfect government, perfect administration. Satan's locked up. And let's see if man could somehow still be good. And man fails. What God is doing is he's demonstrating to us that no matter what condition we are set in, we are going to fail because we're sinners. We can't help it. Some people will often try to say, well, if we had a perfect society, that's by the way what socialism is. Socialism says that if we make everyone equal, everyone equal status, equal pay, equal house, equal job, if everything is equal, then no one will have any reason to be mad or upset. We'll live in a utopia. You know why it won't work? Because we're sinners. And no matter what condition you place us in, we're always going to have some reason to complain. If you give everyone an equal amount of pay, there's still going to be something that someone wants. Well, he's got this and I think I should have this. Always. And it's going to be demonstrated in the millennial kingdom that man is going to fail. So what we first understand is that no matter what happens, we're sinners without a doubt. No matter what situation you place us in, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Everyone needs a savior. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, may I tell you that, dear friend, you are a sinner. And no matter what condition you put yourself in, you will still fail. Your only hope is that there's a loving God who died on the cross for you and that you need to accept him as your savior. What's the second thing that we learn? Well, us as soul winners, we learn something else. Not everyone's going to get saved, even in a perfect government. Our job is to make sure that everyone hears the gospel. We can't save anyone. That's Jesus's job. Our responsibility is to point them to the Lord and they make their own decision based off the information given to us. So many times we put on ourselves the weight that doesn't belong to us that if someone doesn't get saved, we take it personally. Now, it should break our hearts, yes. But it is not my responsibility to force someone to get saved. I can't twist someone's arm to get saved. But what I can do is I can make it as pleasant as possible, as reasonable as possible, and give them the choice to accept Christ as their Savior. I could work on my delivery, and I could work on being the best instrument as possible. There's an old saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But the one thing that we could do is put salt in its oats to make them thirsty. We can't make them drink, but we hopefully can live a life that makes people thirsty for what we have, thirsty for the Lord. That's our responsibility. Understanding that even in a perfect government where Jesus is right there, there are still people who will not get saved. All of us goes back to, we're all sinners. And we're desperately in need of a savior. And left to our own devices, we're going to fail and mess up. We might as well do it the way that God said to do it and allow him to get the victories. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.